And did you know that this podcast is an independent production? That's right. The Eric Norcross podcast is an indie podcast. And because of that, we depend on listeners like you to help support the show. The best way to become a supporter is to become a patron. Patreon is a membership platform that allows creators to develop a more sustainable source of financial support for their projects. My Patreon supports this podcast. If you find this podcast worthwhile, please consider becoming a patron by heading over to the Patreon link in the description. That's patreon.com slash Eric Norcross. Again, patreon.com slash Eric Norcross, and the link will be in the description. Thank you, and on with the show. All right, I have one more announcement before I go into the episode. I know these can be super annoying, but this is not a paid advertisement. This is actually about one of my projects. I made a feature film called Fractals, and guess what? It is now available for streaming. Just visit my website, ericnorcross.com. Look for the movie Fractals, and there will be a list of platforms where you can stream it. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have musician and composer Lyndall Descant. Lyndall Descant composed all of the original music for my film Death in Life, as well as the music score to my upcoming film Fractals. She also adapted a song called No Sense, written by Eric Anderson, as sort of the root of the theme of Fractals. And so today we're going to talk to Lyndall about her process for that, her process for composing in general, and we're going to talk about some of her original music, which is absolutely fabulous. I have all of her albums that she's released so far, and we're going to talk about all that. So here is my discussion with composer, musician, extraordinary, Lyndall Discant. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Today, I have, a, I have a very special addition to the podcast. Just for you. <gasps> I never pull the guitar out anymore. No. But I have it here now. Uh, and, and, and the reason I did was because you're the first musician I'm having on that actually ta- is here to talk about music that I can recall. Uh, I've had two superstar musicians on uh the yeah. drummer to semisonic and the drummer to the lemonheads but they were here to talk about oh. writing because they're published authors oh interesting uh so, but you're here huh. to talk about music uh, yeah i don't know why i'm here but i'm here i'm showing up because i yeah. love having conversations with you and i'm ready to go wherever you want to go but Talking about music is one of my favorite subjects, and in particular, talking about the idea of everybody being a musician. Well, if you, and, if you get tired of music, I'm a closeted paranormal freak. Ah, well, okay. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> but we don't need to go there. Uh, <laughs> I'll go there too, but yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. We might, we might lose some people at that point. <laughs> yeah, but I have to, I feel like I should prove to you that I'm a fan. Okay. I'm a big fan. 
I have your albums and your single. Oh, I don't remember what website I purchased them off of, but that's my MP3 player. Man, I appreciate it. Appreciate the support. I do. And I'll put links to your albums in the description so that everybody can listen to you. Cool. I actually just dropped another. um, I've been sort of um, working towards a third release of um, more like electronically produced music. It's not electronic music, but it's um, most of the instrumentation is done through electronic means and the first two that i dropped you've got two of those um and i think you have my live album too i think you were at that show yeah that i dropped the live album from the rockwood musical and then i've been working towards my third one because i always imagined i would do this trilogy of these and then from those three um albums i would go in and finally get my trio in, in the studio and do like a trio studio album but i've kind of been stalling out a little bit because I invited a producer on Colin Hua um, to produce a bunch of these last ones. And then because of coronavirus, he has a music school and things have sort of stalled out for him. And so I'm sort of in a a little bit in a sitting duck position because I don't want to pressure him. But I really want those songs the way he was doing. And he was on he was really doing them the way I wanted him. He's good, too. I think he's the guy you sent to mix my theme music for this podcast. Exactly. He's excellent. I mean, his, his precision, his perfectionism in it is just, it's a craft and it's beautiful. And it got me, you know, in the earlier albums, I was really trying to produce a lot myself and it is still something that I do, but I love being able to hand it off to him because he so often completes what I would like without me needing to, you know, I don't have the technical knowledge and the ability that he does to, for that level of precision in the production. So but what I've done instead is just decided to just drop singles. I'm sort of doing a reverse on it. I'm dropping the singles. And then I still plan to, you know, release a full album with all the material at some point. So I just dropped on 11.11 another piece, um, Knowledge Light Insight. But the funny thing was, and this is, I don't know if this is on topic of what we're going to talk about today, but life has just been so crazy lately that in the middle of me being about to drop that, album I just realized like I couldn't I got in all this other work um and wanted to focus on that and I had just some personal things go down and all these things and so it's like I basically dropped the album without any or that single without any fanfare and I just got a notice today about how some people have been streaming it and it's amazing because I haven't let anybody even know it was out there it ended up it was on veterans day and I decided I had been in Philadelphia the week before and I've been really you know, thinking a lot about our country and just my mind was just more in those places that day. And so I wanted to just rather use my social media that day to talk about just, you know, think, being thankful for people and what they've done in our country and kind of try to, to help put a positive message out. Cause I think a lot of people are pretty disparaged these days about the USA. So, and then been traveling and now I'm here with family and I, you might hear some kids in the background, a dog barking. I mean, my life has just been so, like I used to be so um, in my studio working on music all the time. And I feel like my life is just like blown wide open and I'm just going with it. But music is, is definitely there always. That's the, always my place that I can go to, to kind of keep my sanity. So. I feel like that's the, the sort of life structure for a lot of creatives. Like there's always sort of a plan for albums, books, films, but then there's everything that comes that's, it doesn't I'm not going to say it disrupts if you're really focused it doesn't disrupt but it does change the sort of output plan a little bit and mm-hmm. um, 
it helps you though that you're you're incredibly independent. You're 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 kind of an entrepreneur in a sense that you're running yourself as a business. So you can put out these singles with without the stress of feeling like you owe someone else an album. You know? Right. Definitely. Definitely. And and I have to, you know, the the other side to that is to try to keep a structure and to try to keep since I, you know, in some ways I'm only accountable to myself for things. But then in a time like this where, you know, one of the things that's important to me about music is that it's not about um, like it's the message, it's the 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 content, the energy the intent behind the music that's important. And my intent has really changed lately to this place of like family and love and a balanced life, even for creative is very important. You know, I know I can shut everybody out and get in and just work only on music. And I was pretty darn happy that way, to be honest with you, but I, something crept in, like, am I living my best life? Is this really the best life? And is my music reflect an imbalance because of that? And so in the last few years, I've seized the opportunity of just everything going on in the world to try to pursue that balance. And I think I'm, I'm maybe swinging a little bit over and, you know, this way and this way, but I'm, I feel like I'm, my music is coming from an even better place than it was before. You know, it's filled with more of this, these sincere moments that I'm living in my life where family and friends or the human being in front of me is more important than anything else, you know, and, and really living that you know, golden rule. And that's what I've always wanted my music to be. I want it to be of a vibration that can help to elevate all of us. And I don't want to get pulled into a lot of this division or this bickering, or even this sort of like narcissism or sort of being all about me kind of thing. So, you know, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. And I still plan to, you know, promote this. I just sort of decided that being able to see this family right now is more important. And so on the flip side of that, I'll pick it up and something in me has matured because I feel like there before, even though it's my own business, I think I still would have been like, I got to get it out, you know, kind of like this OCD kind of stuff. And now it's much more about flow and just trusting the timing on things and, and recognizing that it's more about like, I heard this somewhere like being at, like, it's more important to be a candle in the dark than to rail at the darkness. And so it's sort of that sort of quiet, you know, vibe of, encouraging other people to be the candle in the darkness too in whatever that way that is so I love seeing that you're playing music because I just feel like too many people get this idea that you have to be talented or you have to be um, pursuing some great career to for music to matter for music to not be a waste of time and I just don't feel that way I think any time I spend in music is time well spent and when I can share that with people even better And the family that I'm here with now, they, they play music together. They play violins together. They play cello together. We sing together. It's just a part of life. And to me, that's sort of, it's funny because when you try to talk to people about music, it's like, oh, well, you should be pursuing excellence or you should be this really great musician. And that's where you should spend your time. And I was on that track for a while of just being so dedicated to, to learning the craft and learning the technique so that my message would be supported by you know, good music. It wouldn't just be a good message. It would be like technique and under in theory and everything in there that, that goes into really, truly great craftsmanship. Um, but in, in there, I think you can get lost. I think you can get off your message or you can sort of get out of touch with your own unique contribution to music. And 
So to me, being around family or sort of letting go a little bit on that, it's helping me to effortlessly find that again in a way. So anyway, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's the direction no, that, that you want to go, but that's yeah, where I mean, I'm that's at. A, that's the sort of journey I see that happens with a lot of people who stay with it, um, especially in not just music, but in film, um, in writing. You find their work getting a lot more personal and informed by a deliberate shift in lifestyle. Because hmm. when a lot of artists are younger and starting out, everything is about getting this right. Mm-hmm. Everything is about the success of it. And um, I think the the markers between 35 and 40 years of age where people, if they decide to stay with it, they stay with it as it, in a way where it becomes an asset to to their lives that, not, not in the sense that, I'm trying to figure out how to word it, but the, the content changes in a way where like, it's clear that the person is less panicked about creating a product and it's more just this person's living their life and this work is a reflection of that. Yeah. Um, which I can't say is, is the case about everything that precedes death in life. But death in mm-hmm. life and everything after, for me, was that. Like, it was this awakening mm-hmm. that uh, I don't have to obsess about technology. I don't have to obsess about whether or not it is liked by the right people. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm slowly shifting, too, now to focusing more on the space I live in, the people I surround myself by, which I wasn't really thinking about. I used to just sit alone and uh, like like you kind of illustrated, just work on this and it was fine. I would just mm-hmm. like write. I would develop projects. I would go out with my camera by myself and just shoot scenery. And for 20 years, that was fine. Now it's not mm-hmm. so fine. No. Um, so I same got with tired me. of it. Yeah. And I still yearn for it. I mean, there's moments where I yearn for it, but it's almost like I can get filled up quicker. I can have just a little bit of time to myself, or I can even be doing it with, you know, going on hikes and, you know, my partner's 10 feet ahead of me and I'm having just the exact same experience that I would otherwise, you know, and, and it's just different. I mean, I think you, I think, but I think that is a positive thing because I think sometimes you see, you know, people expect, um, somebody just talking about Dave Matthews this way, because my, I have a friend who is such an Uber fan of Dave Matthews and I, I love Dave Matthews back in the day, but I really had lost track with him. I, I hadn't been following him and she just saw him in New York. He was just there, um, for a couple of nights. And she was just talking about how some of the fans, they get so disappointed because they almost want the sound to say the same. They want more of the same. And in her opinion, she's such a loyal fan. She's like, it's normal. We should hear his progression in life. And, and his last album, I think before this one was more about family and was more about these more mature things. And to me, that's what art is. We're processing through who we are because we can't get beyond our own filter. And, and I was explaining to my boyfriend, I, I don't know at this point, I, I will always continue to grow as a musician. I will always work on technique. I, I do love it, but that can't be all for me. And I'm, I'm at this point in my life, I'm wanting to play to my strengths more than anything. And I feel like 
And somewhere in the last 20 years, I did have that idea of like, take every opportunity, like get as good as you can try this, try that, try this, try that. But I was in many times getting out of who I think I really am as a musician and trying things out and going here. And I'm and, and it was cool because it's like the pendulum. Like when I was over here, I learned this. And so then when I come back here to express my ideas, now I have that, you know, now I have this side to my music. And I think all of that, you know, comes together. But ultimately, I don't have that much more time on earth. And I don't even know. I mean, I have we no idea know. how much time. Never know. Yeah. So it's now this different urgency of like, just do what I can do, offer what I can offer. And, and the pursuit of excellence is not as important to me as being honest about that. Yeah. Well, you, you know, know, I have a, a couple of follow up follow-ups to all that first one was about the dave matthews thing so i recently watched an interview with another texas native uh meatloaf that is he (laughs) yeah he's from dallas um and uh it was this i think it was dan rather interviewing him it's on youtube somewhere Uh, if i find it i'll put the link in the description but um he was talking about how And I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the interview word for word, but it didn't seem fun for him to be performing to these longtime fans who want the music to sound the same. And Mm -hmm. the case in point for him was there's this massive hit that he had called Anything for Love. Uh, And if it doesn't sound like the record, the fans will let him know. And Uh, that doesn't sound like a good life. when you can't reinvent your old stuff or mm-hmm. and and I could imagine with Dave Matthews it'd be like crash into me was in the wrong key or you fucked right. up the 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 picking <laughs> on satellite or or something like that and right. uh, it would drive people nuts because i think too many people don't look at the artist and the artist's journey as this thing of growth to them the the original record is disposable entertainment. It should always be the same. And that's a term that I've been use I use a lot, disposable entertainment, because it's one thing that it's one of those terms I use to remind myself to to avoid falling into this you can easily fall into this mentality that that's all you're disposed. That's all you're creating. You're creating somebody else's entertainment and then once they have it they're just going to throw it off to the side uh, and that's going to be that. And I I think there needs to be a paradigm shift in the way the public consumes this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know what will cause it or what it'll look like, but... Um... Yeah. I agree <sighs> with you because I think, and I think even the, you know, that's one of the things that why I like to study like ancient um, methods of music or just ancient cultures. I, I've always been like an anthropologist. Like that's the thing, like I'm almost pivoting back into like studying anthropology. I've always been interested in a lot of things. And music is where my heart is the most, but I, all of these things I research, I feel like that goes into my music. And I've recently gotten back into studying ancient cultures and they didn't see music as entertainment. I mean, music was so much more powerful and important than that. And for every person, you know, every single person, music was in their life. And I would say that that is true when people are listening to music that is, you know, still showing that many, many people understand the value of music. I mean, a lot of people, very few people do you find in life are like, eh, I don't really care about music, but they're out there. They're out there. And they're just like, nah, just 
indifferent to it, or maybe even don't like it. But um, most people know there's an importance to music, but they're sort of letting themselves be fed what is good music, or it's like they're not really, you know, thinking for themselves. And then even 50 years ago, you know, because I studied jazz, the taste was so much more sophisticated. And that's not to say that it's not an insult to the modern day music, but it's definitely evident. I mean, there's no question about it, right? It's different. The messages, what becomes successful, it can, it's very, it's not, it doesn't um, express the variety of music that's possible. And the average person isn't interested in that. And so that's one of the paradigm shifts that I would love to see happen. And one of the visions that I've had forever since I really, you know, because for me, I gave up piano when I was 12 years old because I was studying with a classical teacher. I would write my own songs and she would basically ignore them. And it just didn't feel it just, I don't know. It just didn't, I didn't see the value of learning this classical music. And I didn't see, I didn't know any local musicians. The only musicians I knew were like Madonna and Michael Jackson. I had no desire to be either one of them, even though I liked their music. And I continued to sing. I was always in choirs, but I really didn't come back to study music until my early twenties. And it was more from a mental health standpoint. It was like, I can get on Prozac or I can start to be creative. Like I just knew that I just knew being creative was going to help me to deal because being in a nine to five job and all that stuff was shocking to my system. I wasn't ready for that. So, you know, I, I found like I had bouts of depression and like, what's life all about? And this is meaningless. Nobody around me was questioning it. So my music was that place for me as my sacred space to come home at night and, you know, ask these questions and, and express these concerns or express, you know, whatever it was. And from that, you know, it's become even more powerful. Like I, like, for example, I find that lately I'm, I'm sort of dealing with some thoughts on my head that are very suspicious thoughts, you know, and they're not in line with reality. And I'm recognizing that, but when they come over me, sometimes they're hard to deal with. It's like, I don't know, is this, is this accurate or am I being suspicious? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn Elvis's song, Suspicious Mind. And I'm going to think about this. Every time I'm playing it, I'm going to think through this. Like, I want to grow beyond that. Those thoughts are not serving me anymore. I want to, it's like a form of clearing out your own head, clearing out your emotions. And you can use your music practice in that way, you know? And that to me is just one of the many ways that music is not being utilized by the average person. And my vision would be that someday we get back to a place where every person knows an instrument. And it doesn't mean they have to be good or talented. And what I found is beyond what is talent, who has talent, who's smart, the people that actually become the people that we're listening to on the radio, they have a certain personality that works with that. It's beyond just talent. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of talented musicians I know that don't have the personality to do the career the way it needs to be done today. And so to me, it's not the average person, the way they think about it, it's like this elitist idea, like we're only listening to the most talented musicians and why waste your time if you're not one of those guys, you know, and it's almost like embarrassing if you're somebody who's in a garage band and you've been doing it for years and years, like, why are you doing this? Why are you spending your time doing this? They just don't get it. And I'd love there to be a paradigm shift on that. And I think the only way possible is for people to actually start playing music themselves again and reconnect with it. When I was in high school, when I first started learning guitar in my freshman year of high school, and I, I would attempt to question everybody I knew who could play guitar. 
and I and it always came down to well, if you can play guitar, how come you're working here? How come you're not creating an album? How come you're not doing this? And so they go, well, can't I just play guitar for me? Can't I just learn how to do music? I think one of them used the word hobby, but I hate that word. Um, I know. For the soul, so to speak, for the yeah. mental well-being, it, it yeah. seemed more like that was the common answer. And I'm like, okay. And of course, my younger younger self didn't get it. I'm like, for me, if you were learning guitar, it's because you're going to start a band and start doing gigs, yo. And it's just, I get it now. Like, I'm 40, and I hear it. And uh, I love that idea, though. Uh, everybody learning some kind of instrument. I think mental health would change significantly across the United States if everybody here had some sort of interest in an instrument of some kind. I completely agree. I mean, it saved me learning guitar. Yeah? I was on the path to... I was starting forest fires, breaking into houses, stealing liquor. Guitar saved me. This in your teens, you were you were all out and about doing that stuff. Oh, I got stories. Well, here's wow. the thing: I don't think I was ever truly bad. Um, Jan jokes about sometimes about how I would break into these summer homes. On I, I grew up in a summer community, but I was a year rounder, which meant that I was working class. But I would break into these summer homes, read their books, just to read their books that they had left behind. For the most part. And then later on, I would discover where the liquor was. But initially, it was <laughs> yeah, gotcha. to read books that the library didn't have. Right. But that also because there, yeah. was, there was a little bit of a... I love breaking into people's houses and reading their books. It's so weird. It's weird. <laughs> that's it how weird. I read the first Jurassic Park, the second Jurassic Park, the original novels. Uh, how that's how I discovered Michael Crichton. But yeah... Um, so I guess it was rooted in in somebody not wanting to truly be a horrible person. But when you grow right. up in a place like I grew up in, you get bored quick. And, and being a criminal is very entertaining. Uh, but the guitar <laughs> substituted most of those desires. Uh, <laughs> most of those solutions, I should say. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, you know, I, I work with kids a lot and a lot of the kids that I've worked with um, that, that I was, you know, my, like speaking to my strengths, the kids that I would gravitate and sort of, they would gravitate to me were the out of the box kids. And a lot of times you do see acting up coming from something that if you're able to really communicate and express and get to the bottom of it's, it's a acting out because an attention needs to be put there. There's something that needs, you know, guidance from our community or, you know, a lot of kids are acting out not from a place of being just terrible kids or something, you know, it's coming from something that needs to be addressed. They need help with it. I know myself, I had a lot of those things and none of it was addressed. And I really didn't have somebody who cared even about it until I had a a professor in college and he was a French professor and he connected the dots on how artists actually offered value to society. And the way he did that, I've told this story before, I don't know if I've told you before, but he, the way he did that, Professor Nodo, he's since passed, and he was at Texas A&M, and he would explain how in any given time period, 
there was like this going on in France. Like people were worried about, you know, a lot of people were starving. The economy was bad. And then suddenly you had the blue Picasso period and you had Picasso who was doing all these blue paintings. And you had this artist that was writing these type of poems and you had music that sounded this way. And so his point was that artists were and philosophers were the mirror to society. And by that healthy expression, it helped the society to deal with where they were at at the time. And I just never understood the value of artists before that. I just thought they were just all in it for themselves and they weren't actually doing a true service. And, and I guess that's why a lot of people think it's okay that art isn't paid well, or that means, you know, musicians aren't treated as a real profession, but I think it's been the I've heard and I was part of organizations that talked about musicians being the canary in the coal mine because I think a lot of jobs are being devalued now, you know, and it's it's a sign of society not being in a good place. If you don't treat your philosophers and your artists well, it's not a good sign for this society at large. And I think yeah. we're seeing that, you know, and in my lifetime, it has been a huge struggle to be a professional musician. It is not easy. And so I think there's a lot of people who would do it if it wasn't that. And I get why they choose not to do it. You know, that's the thing I advocate for in any medium, even filmmaking, which is it's probably the hardest to achieve in filmmaking. Live your life as an artist. Don't just pursue a career. And of course, that's the message in Fractals, right? He says, live your life as a creative. And then if the opportunity is there to pursue it in other ways, dabble. But, you know, like... People should just be living their life as a creative no matter what. Exactly. But it's interesting that you used the word mirror earlier. You said yeah. something about artists mirroring society. Because my in my high school yearbook, my senior quote was, they ask you for your ambition. And most people will put, you know, to love or to find a wife or some bullshit. I put to put a mirror to the world. That's Whoa. my quote, my, my senior year yearbook. That chills, Eric. Uh, That's so cool. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I love your work, man. And I find <laughs> it to be, you know, rare. I've, you know, I'm out there and I find your work to just be something that I, you know, gobble up, you know, as if I don't like I'm like starving for that type of deep reflection in art. And I, you know, really appreciate that you're putting it out there because I recognize that that's not people want entertainment, you know, people, they see art as just being something to entertain. And it's very, for me, a lot of it is just very surface, but granted, I'm a very deep person. Typically I'm too deep for most people. Like they're like, all right, can you lighten up there? You know, like we don't have to see everything on that level, but that's that's who I am. The thing about the whole wanting entertainment thing, that's what frustrates me the most is because there's a huge, powerful component of society that's fueling this almost dictation on part of the audience. Well, they want this, so we're going to give them this. But my thinking is they don't need that. Yeah. I want to know what they need that they don't realize they need and produce that. But there's this old, there's a short film I saw a few years back called Two Hours in the Dark. It was a, it was a kind of a biopic about Frank Capra, but it was a short independent film. And, there was this message in it that it made me realize the power of cinema, for example. Well, it could be applied to the power of art in general, but from a cinematic standpoint, think about this. This is what it made me realize, the power of cinema. You have this medium 
where it entices a bunch of strangers to sit in a dark room together. Most people in a theater do not know each other. And they're going to sit in that room for two hours and take in whatever message you have. And all most of these producers can think to do is guess what will keep you coming back next week. Mm-hmm. And then try to serve it using that sort of agenda of making money. Whereas if you give them what they need, not necessarily what they want, they're going to come back next week because Mm -hmm. you'll essentially be prescribing them a solution that they didn't realize that they were desperate need of. And so I started looking after I watched that short film, I started looking at cinema more as an underutilized power. And I 100% see art in general as power. Well, and I 100% see music as power. Well, I mean, music, I think music is very powerful. I think music is the most powerful. Um, I actually and, do too, but I didn't want to say that to no, down any other art because form. But think I, about it. You, one, it's rooted in math, which is the universal language. And it, I think that there, while, yeah, the four chord, you know, the Pacha Bell thing does appeal to the brain. Mm-hmm. Music in general, I feel like taps into consciousness in a way we don't fully understand. Exactly. And consciousness is something that we don't know shit about. Agreed. Uh, agreed. <laughs> yep. And we know it comes down to vibration. You know, we know that we're starting to tap into this vibration, resonance. We know that this these are huge components in consciousness. So music, and that's why, honestly, I got into music because when I got into the workforce, and I was doing what I was doing. I won't give specifics on the work I was doing, but it felt very meaningless. It was like seeing behind the curtain of Oz and just realizing like, this is not helping anybody. It's once again, just, and I will say, I mean, it makes sense if our society is so focused on making money, then it, our art reflects that, Yeah. right? That's exactly what it does because so much of what our art is is just about making money and that idea. But when you get beyond that, and you know you're looking for more meaning in life then to me music was this strangely neutral thing that i could put my my full effort behind and not i just couldn't really do it in other things now i would say that cinema and this time period actually probably has more power within our culture because i don't know that people are listening to music the way they used to so you don't have as much of an ear and i would say cinema is the biggest art form I would say right now in our, in our culture. So I think it actually has probably more power, at least in the American culture than any other art form that we have. It's the most exposure. It's the one that people like the most, you know, are so many people are like, I'm one of them. Like we can, we're always quoting movies. We almost talk through quoting movies. Yeah, I do. I do. And I've been told by some former roommates, wow, I like the way you talk. It's just like in a movie. You get straight to the point and there's a lot of exposition. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Uh, But, um, you know, the thing about cinema, though, the the weakness that nobody seems to acknowledge is in its reliance on technology. Hmm. If the power goes out, you get no cinema. That is true. And it don't matter if you have it on a Blu-ray disc or if you have a film print, if you have uh, a server with a file on it locally there. Without electricity, without a working grid, without the right equipment, you can't digest it. Um, Mm -hmm. With a book, with literature, you got to know the language. 
You don't yeah. have to know the language of music to feel it. You don't have well, to have electricity, you know. Well, it's like the, but that is part of what's making me sad because it's like all across America the last 10 years, like pianos are just getting dumped, you know, and they're not being maintained. And so, you know, even in my line of work, I always pianos? prefer, yeah. Yeah, I've been trying to get rid of this antique piano to somebody who will actually restore it and yeah. nobody wants it. Nobody wants, you and can't I don't know give what to do this with stuff it. away. You can't give it away. And it's so sad to me. Because, you know, I think the way like some guys or people feel about cars, I feel about pianos, like they're all, all valuable to me and I want them to last as long as they can last. And, you know, back that's one of those things that I would I would have loved to be a musician in New York in like the 80s, um, because I think back then, maybe even probably the 70s, even you had beautiful pianos and a lot of restaurants, you had decent paid gigs there playing music for people, you had audiences that actually appreciated that and wanted that. And I miss that. And I don't know where we're headed, but I mean, that's one of the reasons why I want to make sure that I'm have a piano <laughs> nearby. And I've almost been about to throw out all of my sheet music. Cause I've been in transition a lot and I've, I've over the years collected so much sheet music, but I don't use it anymore. Honestly, I'm on my iPad. I make digital charts. It's so much easier going to gigs, just have it all right there. Yeah, yeah. So I just was having to make this decision. Like, do I get, first of all, I can't give them away. Nobody wants the books. And then it's like, well, what if the power does go out? You know what I mean? Like I kind of want a piano and a candlelight in those books and I'll be just fine. You know, that's why (laughs) I print out, I print out all of my guitar notations and I put them in a binder just in case I don't trust the grid. Like um, I I want access to everything. And then I also make hard copies of all my screenplays, of all my, um, anything I write. Because you could always take it to like a play form yeah. if you needed to. You could go back to old school theater, I guess. But it's not the same because that's one of the things I do. I personally do actually really love cinema. And I think at my heart of hearts, I came to music because of this idea when, when, the music is perfectly melded with the visuals. To me, it's like, I just blow open with joy. Like, it's so amazing. And I've fish concerts. That's why I was super into fish because their lighting guy was so incredible that the visuals with the music was out of this world. But I haven't, you know, ever since I went to Europe and studied jazz and really they don't have jam bands over there, at least in the scenes I was, I kind of fell out of the jam band scene, even though essentially that was what made me get into music and the improvisation and the matching of the lights. And it was just out of this world. But when I watch visuals, beautiful visuals or interesting visuals that are perfectly matched with the music that goes with it, for me, that's it. I mean, that's just, and you can't necessarily do that with a play. Like, it's not the same. I've seen a lot of plays, but it's not the same. You know. Yeah, I mean, I've tried that. writing plays, and I get bored immediately because I know that, <laughs> one, I'm not going to be able to collaborate with a composer, and two, I'm not going to really be able to dictate how you look at it. Everybody in the theater is going to have a different right. view of it, which right. pains me as a, I'm not going to say I'm a perfectionist, but I am a dictator. I know how I want it. <laughs> And um, (laughs) at least in terms of visual, yeah, I give a lot of free reign on an audio standpoint. But um, yeah, yeah, I cinema is a great medium if when it works. And honestly, starting with Death and Life, which is our first collab together, I've been the happiest with the content I've created 
And and I think a lot of that ha- comes down to music. I was telling Jan about it. I'm like, I don't know what it is. And she go- and she goes, well, you you seem to like it when you can't predict the final thing. And Lyndall's very unpredictable because she's got a <laughs> jazz. She's rooted in kind of a jazz vibe. And uh, jazz is very... So I last year I had on Jake Slichter, the drummer from Semisonic. I took a class with him in my MFA program because he's also a writer. And he was mm-hmm. saying that my writing is, it felt very jazz-like. And I'm like, that's when I started putting the pieces together. Jan says that I tend to be very into not predicting where things are going to go next. This guy's saying my writing is jazz-like. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why Death in Life really worked. Because mm-hmm. it's not a movie I could have predicted. Mostly because of the music. Mm-hmm. When I thought about film scores, film scores prior to Death in Life, they were very formulaic type of, you know, the this, this sound. It's all, all those composers root their stuff in classical in some form or another, and then they just amp up the drama. Uh, and there's something about the jazz feel of, of that score that just made me realize the direction I had to go with developing other projects. How can I develop a process so that, one, I'm going to end up turning in a project somehow, but also not be able to 100% predict what it's going to feel like? Mm-hmm. Like, Fractals is, was a little more controlled than, than Death and Life, but it still didn't come out the way I thought it might have. Fractals is way out there. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a black and white movie for with colored sequences or color elements within it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was going to be more of a, a almost like a neo-noir type of thing. Hmm. But it's not that at all. It's very mm-hmm. colorful mm-hmm. and it's very bright. And the use of no sense was like, that's just changed the whole vibe of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. And that to me that's the that's what I really love working with your projects because I think it's um the the that's when you really enjoy being like an independent artist and not having these expectations because I'll tell you when I listen to a lot of film scores and even like to be honest with you we were in a hotel the other night and all we had was regular TV which we never just watch TV. Like if we're watching anything maybe we're watching a series or something or a movie but we don't just watch tv and it was driving me nuts how like all these reality shows all the music was like you know and it was like we ended up like watching with a friend like a youtube cooking show and it was such good production i really couldn't tell if this was youtube or regular tv and i'm so out of touch i was like is this on regular tv is this like a tv show or is this like youtube thing i loved about it was the lack of that formulaic dramatic music i was like i can't stand it anymore like the way sitcoms got for a while i couldn't stand the pacing of the sitcom it was just too predictable and i couldn't i can't watch any sitcoms anymore for many years i haven't been able to and music and many scoring has become that way and i think this is just my guess is that at some level they know it works and it's about not taking risk and using the things that they have it just becomes sort of you don't want to take risk. And then in other levels, it's also because of this market research where the numbers are saying this, this, and this. And like, you could even get into psychological studies of like, when we do this, it makes them tune in because they really, you know, it's like all that stuff for me has taken us away from just 
good music and music that's, you know, purposeful. And so when I sat down, I had the freedom with death and life, um, um, death and life and um, with fractals to go where I felt like it should go. And that's where I, being a jazz artist, um, I'm trained in that ability to trust and to be okay with not knowing, but feeling like I'm being led through it. And so it's fun for me too, because it's like, especially like almost every sequence I get, I'd be like, oh man, how am I going to do this? Like, I don't know how this is going to work. And it was definitely a lot of the cues that you were giving me for examples were way more classical. And I'm, I don't consider myself a classical artist at all, you know? And then at some point it was like, can you kind of go John Williams here? It's like, oh, okay, I'll try. You know, I'm definitely going to try. I also assume you'll ignore me. So because all my temp music is just stuff I buy, which is nothing like what you do. But But then the thing was sometimes something. But sometimes I would get married to it. Like sometimes I would like what it was. So then I I did want to try to recreate it, but it was so fun. I mean, the whole process was so fun for me. And I was just as surprised with what would come out, you know, and some. Oh, go ahead. The, the the end of Fractals, the montage at the end where he's mm-hmm. just kind of coming around and it's really inspirational. Mm-hmm. That's the worst case of being married to temp music I've ever had in my life. <laughs> I still can't get over it. I'm like, man, and I, I don't know what that, that... That came from an independent film called from Welcome to Harlem, mm-hmm. which is... It's, it's on Amazon, uh, but not a lot of people know it. Um, but there's something about that piece of music and the message that Tim was delivering where I was just, I had a hard time delivering that to you <laughs> because I knew that like it just worked too perfectly. And I really I, hate it when that happens. <laughs> well, but I, and that was the, that was the piece of music that I was actually the most formulaic about in my, my creation of it, because I, the same thing happened to me. That ending sequence is one of my all time. I can't remember if it's seven minutes or, you know, however long that piece is, is some of my absolute favorite cinematography ever. And the message of it just every time, and I'm not saying this to blow smoke up your you know, butt or anything, but every time I heard it, I would cry. I was just moved to tears. So I as well, there was something so positive in the cue music that you had with it, that, that piece of music, it was so uplifting. And so I was like, okay, really, what is it that, and I really got technical for a minute. And I was like, what is it that's making it that way? And it was like something, you know, the violins were giving a jump here and this, and it was many layers. It was a very simple theme, but it was layered in a certain way with this instrumentation. So I didn't want to exactly copy it but i did want to use that layered tech a very simple theme that felt uplifting to me and then stack it and layer it in a way that created this energy of just bubbling up and you know and that's that's fun for me too that's the challenge and the fun part of it because i feel like and i think my brother is this way my brother is a um an incredible visual artist but he really doesn't like the pressure of expectation And so it's hard when you're like, I want it to sound like this to actually steer the ship that way, right? Without just going to copying it or whatever. And so I loved that. But I think that's another indication, like you're saying, of being somebody who's been doing their craft for a while. Because when I was younger, I might end up with something amazing, but I had no idea. I never steered the ship to get there. 
now when you're trying to steer the ship to get there and still make it something spontaneous and creative and something that's going to surprise you, that's a bigger challenge. And I loved that about it because I did feel like it, it met that challenge. I did feel like for me, it, it held what I loved about the other one whilst being unique for fractals, but it might've also been very easy because the message is so good. And I, in the world, I've been just lately hearing echoes of it a little bit. I've been hearing number one and all of these really good podcasts that I've been listening to, because I've been hearing a lot of BS out there and I've been starting to shut down a lot of channels of information that I was getting. Cause I just don't find, I just don't know what's real and what's lies and anything anymore. But lately when I've been finding nuggets of truth down in the end, there is a mention of fractals and I'm like, bam, exactly. And then this other notion of just people stepping up and being creative to be creative and not identifying with the job, not identifying with the money that they're making. Like that's not their identity. Those are maybe tools you're going to use to live your life because we have to, but your identity is somewhere rooted more in your creative expression. And I feel like that message is kind of catching on. You know what I mean? I do feel like that. And I can't wait till fractals is in a position to even be able to just spread that last seven minutes on, on a widespread basis. I feel like so many people, that's exactly what they're looking for. They're open to it. They're hungry for that type of paradigm shift. Maybe not. I don't know what age it is. Maybe it's any age, but it almost seems like the younger people who are having a hard time figuring out how do you, you know, not get completely depressed by the world these days. I mean, my, my thing was always, when I was younger, I believed I had to get into an industry to do it. I don't really care about that anymore. Um, and I think the, if we can get people to recognize that they don't need an industry to be able to do it, mm-hmm. you can just do it. And that's kind of the message of fractals, really. Um, stop ask, Stop seeking permission to create and figure out how to create for the self. That's exactly it. That is exactly it. And that is an important message because I still think there's, there's a lot of human, I think we're in a great opportunity right now for there to be a lot of human paradigm shifts. And I think we're needing that. We've been needing that, which is what my song, let it all crumble is about. It's like, let's go ahead and let the stuff that we see is not working, has not been working for a long time. Let's be brave enough to let that crumble and build something else. And, you know, and I think that's one of the keys is to quit seeking outside of ourselves and to instead learn to start trusting ourselves. And for me, there's this idea that if each of us did that and we understood that we don't have to be everything, we don't have to be the best. We just want to be the best person we can be who and, and stand in, true to who we are, what talents we have, what we have to offer the world. If each of us did that, my feeling is actually we would have everything we need, that the, it would be a better, um, as society, it would kind of come together as a mosaic and we'd each have the piece, the missing pieces for each other. And it's less about the ego, which is something that is stronger when you're younger. And I think the older you get and the closer you get to imminent death, like the more you're able to see past that. And maybe coronavirus has even helped younger people to get past that. The things that they're facing now are very different than where we were at. And anybody who is a creative today, I just want to send like a huge thank you to, you know, for holding the line, because I think 
we are creating alternatives to a sort of monopolized, you know, system of, of being able to, an, a, a monopolized industry is now being sidestepped in many, many, many ways. People are doing it. And I, I myself have to get out of some of the resentment that I faced from years of banging my head against doors because I did it too. And my ego wanted to, to be this and that. And I was always having to kind of like get humbled and continue my path. And, you know, the place that I'm, I'm at now is seeing so many young people who never even had, you know, they're, they're figuring things out. I mean, many, many people are figuring out ways around it. And so it's up to us to not get caught up in the resentment or the excuses and just do our thing. And it's, it's, it's so easy to resentment excuses. It's kind of like, it's almost too easy to, to fall into that and to let it, dictate your your moves and it should never do that it's kind of i'm thinking now about like the how the algorithms of facebook and all that serve negative posts more than they do positive posts i don't know if you ever heard that but it's true and that's why so many political ads are attacking the other side and uh and i've gotten caught up in that yeah it's so easy for us as individuals to gravitate towards the negativity and our Mm -hmm. mission as human beings is to resist that because it's too easy. And Mm -hmm. uh, it takes energy to be good, so to speak. And, Mm -hmm. but it's a worthwhile energy. Exactly. Because it's a, it's an energy. I think it, it might be momentum. Once the hard part is if you've gotten mired down in it with, which most of us have, it's a, it's a lucky human who's, from the time they were born, sort of was able to be guided to sidestep that. Many of us sort of fell into traps and then we have to learn how to dig ourselves out. And then we have to get our momentum going another way. But that's why I have a lot of positive hope because I'm like, the more of us that do it, the more it's easier for other people to do it. And, it, and it, there's a certain point where it really would shift and it would be easier to be in a, you know, I'm po- I hate using the word positive because I don't mean it in like a, of, you know, surface level, but I mean, deeply healthy space, that's maybe a better word for it, you know, because there's going to be sadness, there's going to be all levels, but you're healthy with it all. And it's not this heaviness and this tragedy that, you know, stops so many people from doing what they really want to do, you know, and the more of us that work to build a momentum that goes, you know, against this current negativity and this current conflict, then the more that that's available for all our other brothers and sisters. And, you know, it's, and that's what I feel like we're doing too with our creativity and our art. You know, it's like the more of us that are brave enough to do it, even if it's in the silence of our own home, it's like that really does affect when going back to consciousness that affects our collective consciousness. I'm a believer that if you, if you're sitting alone in your house and you're just playing around on the piano and not recording it with a piece of technology, just the fact that you're there playing it on your piano, it's in the world forever, even exactly. if you can't revisit it again. And if we understood more about frequency and waves, sound waves, we might even realize that those waves are going out and creating like a, a yeah. you know, better vibe. Yeah, you're you fucking know, with butterflies over in Europe. But uh, <laughs> I'm not even thinking about sound waves. I'm thinking about space time. Oh, you are? Okay. So yeah, I'm thinking about the quantum aspects of it where like, 
time gotcha. as an illusion. Right. You're right. That everything's happening all at once and that There's we're just perceiving there. it as a separate set of events. And um, You're right. That's that's a good point. That's absolutely it. And mm -hmm. just because we don't understand these things or we don't have a value for them in our current society, it doesn't mean that they don't have value, you know, or it mm -hmm. doesn't mean that there's not some greater reality that someday when we're beyond the veil, we're like, duh, of course. I mean, what if, well, hypothetically, what if we evolved? What if like your great, 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 great grand nieces or whatever uh, evolved, right? And in, in such a way where they could create sort of a rent in the fabric of space time and listen to that thing that you played by yourself. Uh, wouldn't that be, wouldn't you want to perform for yourself a little bit more? Oh my gosh, Eric, that is the <laughs> coolest thing. This is oh why it takes me so long to finish projects. Because <laughs> I'm always like philosophizing these, these ideas about reality. My gosh, that is so, but see, this is something that I'm so interested in and it's, is our true human technologies that we know are there, but we haven't tapped in. And I've never thought about that one, but yes, of course. Like, oh, we why totally wouldn't that have, be? Um, like remote viewing, you know? No, that exists. It, yeah, it that, exists that now, but what if that's like. Family. It's in my gen genetics. No way. No, I, I'm telling you, bro. My mother saw me when she was 11 years old on in a recurring dream that she had up until the scenario of that dream transpired. Wow. Yeah. She knew who her husband was going to be when she was a kid. And when he married his when he married his first wife, she walked over to him and kicked him in the shins. She's like this isn't how it was supposed to go. And she ended up being his second wife. My sister has had some weird shit. Actually, at some point, uh, I don't know if I was going to do it on this podcast or on the channel in general or at all, but she sent me a letter. My mother sent me a letter when I first moved to New York in 03. She's like, she detailed the list of all of her extrasensory perceptions that she's ever had. Wow. And then at the end, she goes, plus there was this really horrific recurring dream I had about your father, but I don't want to talk about it. And I'm like, fuck, I'd have no idea what it could have been. But I mean, and you never al almost that. all of it concerned me. <laughs> There's something about me. I'm special. But well, but that's mothers, though. The other thing, too, is my sister has it. She doesn't talk about she's not as open about it. I try to get her to talk about it. We do quarterly brunches, but we don't really have time to go that deep into that kind of thing. But sometimes I'll have these weird moments where I'll have a waking dream where something's being said to me by somebody. So, for example, there was this one instance where I was in this waking dream and we were at St. George Terminal in Staten Island. And Jan was telling me a specific thing about something that was said at work that week. Later that afternoon, that scenario transpired. And exact, and I predicted what she was going to say, and mm -hmm. because of that waking dream, and it's happened a couple of times, and it's happening more and more as I learn to meditate. I've been learning how to meditate, right? And Lyndall, there's some crazy fucking shit in this universe that you can tap into if you learn to meditate. 
Oh, I listen. I know, brother. I've been <laughs> been doing some of that myself. It's like awakening. And, it's it's almost like exercising this because I get headaches here when I start getting these flashes now, mm. uh, these flashes of light, and then I'll have the, like, these. I, I don't dream as an adult. I don't dream, and if I do, I don't remember them. I'm mm. now not only remembering my dreams, but they're more as as more real as they've ever been, and not they're not all grounded in reality. Like some of them are, I guess they would be horrifying to some people. I find them quite entertaining Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because I'm entertained by like, I guess, terror. But (laughs) yeah, there's just something about like meditation that awakens a part of the brain. And I think there's an evolution, an evolution that we could put ourselves on as a species where we're tapping into something that science and the academic process is not ready to recognize is there. No, I completely agree with you. And I had some out-of-body experiences when I was in my early 20s um, that were not, uh, and I always had like kind of like really intense dreams. I often would know something that was going to happen before but I wasn't trained in it and it actually really messed me up too, because sometimes yeah, well, I couldn't tell if I had a bad thought, was that a premonition? Does that yeah. mean it's going to come? You know, it's like really messed me up in a lot of ways, which is one of the reasons why I had to do a creative, you know, I had to get back into music or I had to do something because the, it was a way to start to discipline my mind and discipline my thoughts. And I, I really think that's a widespread thing happening is so many people's minds just cannot focus for two seconds. And the thing about meditation or prayer at anything is it's about sitting in stillness right. and silence. Well, and the minute that. you're there, the this whole world can be opened up to you. But I'll tell you, it's really difficult in our modern world to not be distracted or to even see the value in sitting there and doing that. If you can't find the time to meditate or find a place to meditate in New York City, God forbid, that's the hardest thing to do is to find a place to meditate. Uh, precognition should be taken with a grain of salt. Uh, most of the time, the scenarios I've ever gotten were completely benign. Like, mm-hmm. you can't fucking show me the goddamn lottery numbers. Like, <laughs> it's, it's just all been, like yesterday I had a vision of um, almost like a ranch house with a <laughs> mule in front of it. And I'm like, what the fuck... I have no idea why uh, my brain has decided to flash on a ranch house, a blue ranch house with a mule in front of it. It makes no sense whatsoever. And some random figure sitting on the porch who I couldn't make out, but, you know, typical ranch hands, I guess. But um, the, 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 the rabbit hole the, or the sort of the – you'll fall into this dark pit if you panic about any of it. Mm-hmm. Like my mother did with that one dream. She wouldn't even tell me because she thought, I don't know, maybe I'm projecting here, but it seemed like she thought that simply by spelling it out that it invites it into her reality. Exactly. But you can't I know. do that. It's it's a bad news for anybody who wants to evolve to have this ability uh, because we will keep denying it to ourselves if we fear it. But you know what? My dad... My dad's mad old. He's gone through some shit, but he's still alive. Mm. And uh, I think the the key to everything 
is one, keep yourself happy as healthy as you can. Keep the, those around you happy as healthy as you can. Yeah. And you can't control everyone or everything, but you can control your ability to be healthy, which is the sort of base level of being happy. Yeah. And I think I would add to that, you can be true to yourself. Like you can figure out who you are. You can deal with many, many people these days have traumas. And so that's what I was going to say. Going back, you said like people giving people what they need, but I'll be honest with you. I see a lot of resistance. Sometimes people don't always, you know, want what they need. They kind of want to, you know, stay in the shadows of things. They don't always want to come into the light about really who they are, where they're about, because it can be painful. I think Jung said that, like, it can be so painful to actually get to know your soul that many people avoid it at all costs. I think that's a lot of the distraction that we're seeing. But I will say, I think that these technologies, this, this ability to evolve as human beings, I think we're on the cusp of that right now. And maybe some of the pressure we're going under is helping us to and I, I envision a future, maybe it's just one timeline, because that's the other thing you get into, like different timelines and stuff, mm. even with disabilities. But there is a timeline where children are brought up in an environment where they're loved and cared for and nurtured so that these abilities are very natural and come online for them. And I think a lot of us have experienced programming about being afraid of these things, and we haven't really received much technical help for even how to deal with them or how these technologies work. Very few people even know how they work. And then there's other people that say they know, but they're not sharing that knowledge. You know, whatever it is, I think we have to understand that it is a slow evolution. And and I, I will just say, like, I think the trick is to not let the ego get involved, whether yeah. it's fear or even thinking you're somebody special because you can do these things, yeah. you know, or trying to use it for, I think the other thing is service to self versus service to others. Are you going to use these gifts you have in service of yourself? Because that's going to put you on a certain loop with them. Or are you going to try to actually use them for the greater good, like you're saying, to for you, for you, to have an abundant, healthy life for you and yours? And I feel like at the end of the day, a lot of people may or may not agree with anything that we're saying here. They might, it might even be the frequency level of what we're talking about. The vibration is just, you know, needs to be more negative that's, and more yeah. controversial. This is boring to them, whatever it is, but that's fine. Because I think to me, it's not about going out and telling people these things. They can discover them for themselves. It's just about living a life that makes people wonder what's possible for them. Okay. Are you going to play something? Do you want me to play something? Yes, I do. I can play the, uh, since we have the rights to it, I can play the chords to No Sense. Great. The song. So the listeners, um, No Sense is the song that Lyndall adapted as the sort of bass to the score of fractals. I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, Almost everything in there except for one or two scenes is a variation on the theme of No Sense. And so the original chords that Eric Anderson wrote um, and it's the only version, it's also the version that Jeff Cusack has on his album. It's the only version I knew for 20 years. And for 20 years, I've been trying to figure out how can I make this part of a film? And the the main riff uh, sort of goes like this. Saying, but no, do that again, Eric. That was cool. Let me hear that again. Yeah, sure. 
Is that it? Is that, am I singing the thing? Yeah. I've been obsessed with that riff for years. I'm so stoked that Eric was nice enough to, uh, I guess, loan it to us. Let <laughs> me um, see. Can I hear you? Testing, testing. Am I there? Yeah, you're there. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, announce you know further development because we're gonna do a music video. Yep, for we're gonna do a music too. video for your ver your master version of the song. Um, master version and I, then there's always other also, versions possible. I also want to do a piano and you just a piano and you and maybe slow okay. it down a bit and then I also um, I have another film in the works I might have a couple actually um, <laughs> yes but again I'm unpacking so initially I told Jan I wanted to make a monster movie next Oh, really? Okay. And it was supposed to be like something cheap, something simple, something straightforward, something to have fun with. And I've been writing out this massive notebook of ideas and I've been writing it and it's kind of, it's actually written, but now I'm just further developing it. And it just became an unpacking of what is a monster, who perceives something as a monster versus not mm -hmm. a monster, yeah. and what does a monster actually do? <laughs> and, and so it's sort of a philosophy on the concept of a monster oh, and the point okay. of view that people have and okay so that's oh, man i can't do anything simple well this this comes full circle because i'm a huge <laughs> fan of your work too so i'm excited to, to see what else is coming out and i'm wondering when are we going to be able to share fractals like is it in the festival so, season right now it's so i submitted it to festivals and so mm -hmm. far i have to hear back from all of them before i can do anything with it because right. everybody okay. wants premiere status. Yeah. So I'll probably hear okay. back by January or February and then um, whatever did you happens. Ever have, did you ever have a, um, that's when we'd have a, a viewing or yeah. premiere? Yeah. We'll either have it at a festival, but if it doesn't get into any festivals, which is possible, and I can talk about that in a minute. Um, I want to definitely rent a, an auditorium and screen it for everybody here in New York before okay. we stream it okay. but at the by the end of 2022 i plan to stream it okay cool 100 i can't um, wait i can't wait it's the sister gonna... film of death and life so it has to be out there it's what the sister film yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and i still love death and life too so i love i love that i've been able to be part of these projects i'm super excited to be a part of any future projects and cool. For myself, I'll tell you, it put me on a different level. Like just scoring for fractals put me in a different place with um, composing in general. It was a really, so I'm excited to, you know, just that, that evolution and that growth through the process or whatever. It's like, I'm still feeling the effects of it now in my music that I'm doing. Um, and the music that I do going forward, it's, it's almost like it really changed a lot about the way I think because I listen I can go formulate like if there's a project that I need to I can go formulate it's no problem but I think for me too I'm recognizing one of the things I can bring to music is that ability to just go there and and face the horror evacuees they say like face the fear of the blank page just not know what I'm going to do watch the scene and compose and then yeah. build from there you know and I really love doing that and so it's given me more of a confidence. And I think in that way, that's the way I'm the most jazz because I think 
I like a lot of different styles and people define jazz so narrowly. And there's a lot of things about jazz that I've sort of was in the scene and I'm not necessarily interested in, but the improvisation and the ability to have the courage to face every moment with trust and go with it and go where it leads you. I learned that from jazz music. And I now realize that that's, you know, who I am as a composer and a musician. Like I always want to be that person, you know, who can just not necessarily come and try to control the moment, but instead be part of something bigger and whatever that bigger is, maybe it involves my ancestors in the future and they're coming in and they're helping me. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. I don't have any yeah, answers for any of this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is, is, is I feel like with you and you and me, a really solid project can rewire our brains so that almost like death and life re rewired my brain so that I could get the fractals. Now fractals has rewired my brain so I can get to something else and then something else. Exactly. And, uh, it's so cool. If you're going by a formula and you're doing it with this fear that your investors are going to be angry, you're not going to have that experience, that, that rewiring. That, and, and it sounds scary, rewiring a brain. But it is scary. It, it, was, it was wonderful. So from <laughs> 2016 through now, it has been a great not being yeah. able to predict what I'm doing. And yeah. I'm just doing it. And like I was telling this guy who was on the podcast, I shot his podcast yesterday. By this point, it's not out, but... I'm developing the monster movie. I'm developing a potentially other film that might be shot in January or February, depending on whether it happens. It's supposed to happen in Virginia. I'm doing this graphic novel that is over a thousand pages long. Cool. I'm doing a novella. I'm doing verse. Uh, and plus, of course, these discussions on the podcasts, which are partially creative. Um, and it's just, oh, and then there's another graphic novel. And there's all these things that are going on simultaneously. I have no idea how any of it's going to go. I'm just living it. See, and this is inspiring for me because that's exactly the direction that I feel like I'm being led is that I'm going to continue to compose, that's for certain. And I'm going to get a little bit back into my disciplined sort of practicing because I do feel like my my playing has gone down the last few years not being out playing as much as I was and it's sort of a good time for me to dig in and take that to the next level to some some technical sides of the of my craft that I'd like to focus on and I have the opportunity to focus on now but then I'm finally ready to get my art out there and start selling my art and I've been blogging more and I want to continue to blog more, but it's been interesting and I'm writing for um, another forum, piano group forum. But what I'm finding is that I really enjoy writing and I really enjoy writing about the stuff that we're talking about today. And so I want to go more that direction too. And it's just time. It's like, I don't need to be, you know, for a long time in New York, I was trying to be that musician, that professional musician. I was doing all the calling card things so that you could you know, be called a jazz musician or called this type of musician or whatever it is. And I'm just not interested in them more. Now I want to just be who I am. And there last week, there was a guy that I met that went back and read my blog about something and just really connected, wrote me an email, talked about like he was teary eyed about it. And that's what it's about for me. It can, it's okay if it's just one-to-one -one connections with people or whatever it is. It's, it's perfectly fine. I'm, I'm not going to control what happens with what I put out there. 
but I'm going to, what I can control is to have the bravery and the discipline to put it out there. Well, I met met you when you were like a jazz musician, but I feel like now you're your own genre. You're like, there's David Lynch is Lynchian and he's his own genre and you're Lyndall Descant, your own genre. Yeah. Well, I appreciate (laughs) that because that's always what I wanted. But you can get lost a little bit. And I think that the val- getting validation is like a drug. You yeah. can really oh. spend a lot of time trying to get that. Absolutely. But in the end, I personally could never actually fit entirely in, in any of that. I just couldn't even do it even if I wanted to. And the other side of it is, if I'm being honest, is that's what I wanted. And it almost sounds like arrogant to try to want to be your own genre, but it's not arrogant if you consider that everybody could be their own genre. Yeah. And that is interesting to me. I want everybody know? to be their own genre. Why not? Yeah. Maybe in that way, we all rising tides raises all boats, yeah. you know, and that's the way to get to a place where we're living in a healthier world. 100%. But I tell you, brother, I appreciate your inspiration, man. I really do. And even talking today has been a big inspiration for me so i appreciate all you're doing for us oh, creatives out there i uh i look forward to more projects and um i'll try to use less formulate temp music moving forward <laughs> well no but now i know see death and life you said i could do whatever i wanted that was clear. yeah yeah this one i wasn't the first few sequences i like is he gonna come oh. back and say but you initially you, we were like can't, I, well, initially, of course, when you try to make a plan at all, and you have the philosophies I have, it's all going to go to shit anyway. But <laughs> I wanted you to just create an hour of music that I could just cut up and pop in. Right. Remember that? We were at the World Financial yes. Center in lower Manhattan, and I told you that. But then as I started seeing the structure of this thing, I'm like, that's not going to work anymore. But at the yeah. same time, I still like left you alone, I feel like. You know, oh, you completely there was did like, because I think seven is three to seven is my magic number. So I think I gave you a total of seven directions. Yeah, over across the whole film. I think so too. <laughs> I think so, and it was early on, so it gave me a, an idea early on. But you know, I never knew, and I was even holding my breath, like when it actually goes to be edited. Is there going to be things that get kicked back because they don't work at that point? But. And I even tested you a couple of times. I was like, I don't know that Eric's going to like this, but I'm going to send it over and see. And you were like, no, it's cool. This is it. That's what I imagine. And it's like you said, I think that is the blessing of a, of a really well-matched collaboration, you know, because I wouldn't ever want to put something in your film. I would always want you to be honest with me. So no, always know that I would want you to be honest with me. But at the same time, I appreciate that I, my creativity can flow more, being that I'm not aiming it to what I think you want or don't want. Well, there was you know? one part where I was like, I don't know if we need this. And you're like, all right, just shave it off and fade it out. I'm like, okay, I'll tell that to the mixer. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not well, doing that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, you know, those kind of changes are, are easy to do. You know, and there might have been like there was one piece I think you wanted in the beginning. You wanted a different beat. And that one was a little bit tricky because it had been – sort of relegated on a different beat. And so to go in and, and figure out if I had to do it all over or figure it out. But other than that, for the most part, it was just like the, um, 
I don't know. I felt like it wrote itself for me. You know, I just had to show up and not, and, and be courageous and be able to get past my own personal fears about, could I do this? Or was it, would it be good enough? If I dealt with that, it felt like the score wrote itself. And it was largely based on just watching it, being inspired by the characters and also somewhat, I will say dictated by the technology because I'm still in a place and I got a lot better, but I'm still in a place where I'm getting um, more proficient with my DAWs and the different sound samples. And for me, I would have loved to actually use real, real instruments. So there's times when I was like, I might've in my head heard a certain sound, but my sample of it wasn't good and I couldn't find a good sample. So I'd end up going with something that did sound good. So that was another parameter, but to me, that's part of the fun of creativity is when you also have to play within what you've got. Lendo, this was a great conversation. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. I've so enjoyed this. <laughs> the audience will never know that we cut out a whole half hour of discussion. <laughs> never. I'll never tell. All right. Thanks. But I enjoyed that. Yeah, this has yeah. been great, Eric. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And um, I'll keep you apprised of upcoming projects and... Will you uh, give me a blast letting me know that uh, where where your new music is so I can put it in the description and we can finally yes. get it into the hands of the people who want to listen? Yes. It would. Knowledge, Light, and Insight is out, and I will send that to you so people can listen to it. It's meant to be a song about just um, remembering your own sort of ancient wisdom and, and how that applies to your life. But in particular, uh, it, it's sort of written about trees because trees seem that way to me. Yeah. So it's kind of like that. It's it's that. And I'd love to just share it and encourage anybody out there who even has an inkling of what they want to do, a creative project or otherwise, something in their soul that they want to get out into this world. And I just want to encourage them to do it. Now's the time. Now's, Now's the, time. the time. That's going to be the name of the episode. Thanks, Lundell. Cool. You're welcome, Eric. Thank you. All Bye. right. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Yeah. Bye. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you have a moment, please consider subscribing to the show wherever you listen. And if the app allows for it, please leave a rating and review. That way, the algorithm moves us up in recommendations. It's a great way for new listeners to find our show. Thanks, and I'll see you on the next episode.